0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Today is Friday, November 3rd, 2023, a sunny and mild day here in Nashville. We have had our first frost here this week, and the garden is now beginning to take on its winter-like appearance. Thanks, as always, to Ron Trammell for our bluesy intro music. There is a growing movement in this country to try to encourage homeowners to reconsider what they're doing with their home landscapes. Urging homeowners to use less turf grass and exotic ornamentals, and more, native plants. This movement is inspired by the writings of Doug Tallamy and others. The benefits of this approach are numerous, including the reduction of the use of fossil fuels, chemicals, fertilizers, and pesticides. But mainly the benefits are for the wild things, which rely on these native plants to survive and thrive. The butterflies, the bees, and other pollinators, and the birds, of course, have become the stars of the show. And people are getting organized about it. One organization which is active on this subject here in the Middle Tennessee area is the Middle Tennessee chapter of Wild Ones. Yesterday, I sat down with Richard Hitt, one of the founders and in current in the current president of the Middle Tennessee chapter of Wild Ones. And we had a great time chatting about their group's philosophy and the activities in pursuit of their mission of healing the earth one yard at a time. And we will get started right after this brief message.
1: Hi, this is Heather Lose, Editor-in-Chief of the Tennessee Conservationist Magazine. Every year, we publish six beautiful issues packed full of timely and informative stories about Tennessee culture, people, and places. You can stay informed about your world and all the great things happening in your Tennessee state parks. It's easy to subscribe. Just go to our website at tnconservationist.org. G thank you
0: Richard hit welcome to the mark Fraley podcast
1: well thank you so much it's a pl- pleasure to be here
0: it's great to have you here and uh, nice to meet you in person finally I don't think I, I, I've we've Communicated in the past, but I don't think I've met you in person.
1: Right. I think uh, I feel like I've met you because I've listened to your podcasts, but I haven't made it to like the Second Sunday Gardener's presentation uh, right. or places where I would have seen you in person.
0: Right. Well, it's fun to have you here. We share a lot of interest. Uh, as you uh, got here this afternoon, uh, we did take the opportunity to do a little garden tour uh, here in this fall, fall, cool fall day here in Nashville. Yes, it and was wonderful. It was fun to fun to show you around. We have a lot of common interests. Right. Richard, as we get started in in my podcast, it's kind of traditional for for me to inquire about the background of the individual that we're speaking with and you know, most of my podcasts are about conservation and parks and such as things as that. And it always is interesting to me and to my listeners listeners hopefully to hear um, a little bit about my guests and, and uh, how they got inter- how they initially in their life got interested in in conservation or parks or in your in your um, case uh, botany and plants. Um, tell us tell us about your growing up and uh, and how you first got interested in those things.
1: Uh, sure, um, my childhood was spent uh, both in Virginia and South Alabama, and. Um, I had a set of woods to go and play in, uh, in my subdivision or adjacent to my subdivision. So I did get to explore uh, in Alabama, uh, just basic woods. Didn't know what I was doing, but it was fun. So I had this kind of uh, pleasant background uh, experience with wildness. Um, Went through college and uh, got a job, usual sort of thing and uh, my brother was an avid birder he wrote a a book uh, for birding in about birding in georgia where you would go to see which birds and so i would go birding with my brother and he would knock off about 35 or 40 species in a casual afternoon but i was never that good i struggled being a birder quite a bit and so um, over the years i was a member of various uh, conservation organizations sierra club um, national wildlife federation But it wasn't until my youngest child left home that I had time to to get more serious about that. So I took the Williamson County Master Gardener certification class, and at the same time, I took the Tennessee Naturalist Program class. And I didn't last too long in the Master Gardeners. I I did get certified and did volunteer hours for one year. But soon after that, I focused all my attention on developing myself as a naturalist. So after the class, you do get experience in a lot of different things, but only to a very shallow depth. And so I thought that what I should do after the naturalist class was pick a topic, spend a year working on that, and then pick another topic. So I kind of imagined doing maybe plants for a year and then moving on to invertebrates for a year, uh, water systems for a year. So I started on plants, and that's where I kind of got uh, stuck. Uh, so that's been going on. So you're
0: still working on plants. Still working
1: on plants. There's Aren't we all? A little more yeah. to that than I, than I anticipated. But I have picked up a lot of insect information along the way.
0: Sure, so, sure.
1: Because they're so, uh, well, they co evolve together, so they have so many
0: connections. Well, Richard, you're here today uh, because of your involvement with, with the Middle Tennessee Wild Ones. But you, as you've described it, you've, you have come into this field uh, after uh, really pursuing a profession in a completely, uh, I wouldn't say a totally unrelated field, but sort of an unrelated field. It's pretty unrelated. Yeah, I mean, you, you were a, a math professor. Right. Tell us about that.
1: Well, uh, I went to college uh, as a flute performance student. And so uh, through sheer luck, the year that I went to that college, uh, the Detroit principal flutist had just retired and became a flute professor there. So I had this golden opportunity to study with one of the maybe five best flutists on the planet. And that was a total blast. But as I got through the music curriculum, I realized that it really wasn't uh, the kind of academic experience I was hoping for. And this was Florida State? That's right, Florida okay. State mm-hmm. in Tallahassee. Um, and so I switched my major to math, which I had always been uh, good at in you know, middle school and high school, and then also did a minor in physics. And so I had enough hours to have a minor in music, but they weren't in the exact right classes. But I'd, I took lessons uh, all through my undergraduate Uh, four-year career, and then three years into my graduate career. And then that particular flutist, Albert Tipton, took a job at Rice University where they were building the Shepherd School of Music. So it was an incredible experience, and I continued playing in the, um, the student organizations, the symphonies, the opera orchestras, all the things that I could have time to play, and I tried to play in something each semester. And so it was a great relief from the mathematics studies that I was doing. Oh, you bet. You
0: bet. It was really a cool time. Right. And so you uh, were a professor at the University of South Alabama. That's right. Okay.
1: Um, I was there for 26 years, I believe. My goodness. Fantastic. And uh, with a couple of sabbatical uh, visits elsewhere. And uh, I was fortunate that around the age of 54, I was able to retire. And so I've had 20 years' experience in retirement now, and my standard joke is, I need to go back to work so I'll have more free time.
0: <laughs> well, that's been that's been my experience with retirement as well. I don't know how I ever got any work done. Right. Um, exactly. So now you have described what you're how you've uh, involved yourself in uh, the the gardening and and native plants world. Um, how did this Wild Ones organization get started? And tell us about that. Sure.
1: Um, there was an uh, environmentalist named Laurie Otto, okay. uh, born in 1919, I believe. Uh, she lived to 90 years old. She died in, died in 2010. And she was an environmental activist in Wisconsin most of her life. And she was um, very involved in the DDT issues of the 1960s. And she organized um, a conference which brought world experts together to meet in Wisconsin. And eventually that led to the state of Wisconsin Wisconsin banning uh, DDT as a pesticide. And so, or is it an insecticide? Yeah. Either either one works, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, she uh, was a, apparently a very uh, charismatic speaker. And she gave a presentation in Milwaukee around 1979. And there happened to be a group in the crowd from Nina, Wisconsin, I believe. And so those nine people heard her talk and decided to start meeting once a month and talk about natural landscaping. And that's what uh, Laurie was talking about at the presentation. And so they called themselves the Wild Ones um, because they're wilding up their yard, I guess. And that name stuck, but it was uh, just sort of a club meeting, not anything too official. But in 1992, um, they formed a a 501c3 corporation and called it Wild Ones, Native Plants, Natural Landscapes. Mm -hmm. And so that was when Wild Ones actually started as a multi-chapter organization. And so initially, a lot of the chapters were in Wisconsin, of course, but uh, since that time um we had a chapter in tennessee the first one was the chattanooga chapter called tennessee valley and that is one of the largest and most active chapters in the national organization and so i used to go to a few of their events as a wild ones member at large and they were that was very interesting and then uh, eventually we got some people together in the nashville area who had at some time been a member of wild ones and we just did a sort by zip code oh i see to trap uh, the people in Nashville who had expressed some sort of interest, we actually found that one of the former national secretaries lived in Sumner County in the town of Portland. Oh. And so uh, we got that group together, and that was uh, done by one of the Chattanooga Chapter members who had access to the member database. And we decided to go for forming a chapter. And so there were about eight of us that were the founding members, and we had a, an organizational meeting. Uh, we selected officers, which you have to do to apply for the uh, to become a chartered chapter. Mm-hmm. And um, you have to have a, a calendar of some some number of events on it, three or five. So it was pretty low bar to actually go from a seedling to a chapter in the in the language of of wild ones. Okay. So that was in November of 2018. Okay. And so nationally, there were about 3,000 members at that time. We started off with about 20 members. And uh, we've grown in the five years uh, now to 191 members in Middle Tennessee. A little more than half of those members are in Davidson County. The rest go uh, all the way from uh, Pulaski and Giles County at the south up into Sumner and Montgomery counties uh, on the north. So we have a, a widespread base now. Uh, At the same time as our chapter was growing, the national organization was growing quite a bit. So the national organization just passed 9,000 members. So it's grown from 3,500 five years ago to over 9,000 now. And uh, the new drive by the national group is to uh, try to achieve 10,000 before the end of the year or soon thereafter.
0: Fantastic. And, you know, I I observe that the launching of the Middle Tennessee group was kind of coincidental with the COVID uh, phenomenon that we had and, and everybody being sheltered in place for a, a couple of years.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting time. Yeah. We did shut down our in-person meetings, of course, right. uh, and our outdoor activities to a certain extent. Um, our membership did grow during COVID. Right. Uh, I'm happy to say that it hasn't really slowed down in its growth rate uh, since covid has been essentially resolved right. and that's uh in step with the national move toward embracing native plants and things that are good for the environment the planet biodiversity support and all of that so um i don't know i think we have the capability here to grow well past our 191 members in fact we picked up about 10 members last uh in October, so right. we are still growing, but it kind of comes and goes. It's somewhat seasonal. Spring's a big push. A lot of times, fall is a big push, and I noticed around the times we're doing our plant sales, we have a lot, uh-huh. of, a lot of growth. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, the, I, I make that observation because you know my I, this group first came to my attention um, on, on social media, and when you were promoting uh, an upcoming event. Which was going to be, you know, uh, a Zoom meeting, um, and uh, so you guys during that time of COVID did several uh, Zoom uh, meetings in which you had a speaker and presentation and all that sort of thing, and and they were really well done and and uh, really fun to listen to. I remember Mike Berkeley. Uh, giving his, his talk about native plants right. on
1: that. Yeah, that was, that was a good one uh, for sure. Mike always gives wonderful presentations. Right. Um, yeah, COVID, uh, with everybody at home anyway, what are you going to do? Right. Might as well watch a Wildman's uh, Zoom meeting, Exactly,
0: right? so. exactly. Um, and you, for, for the listeners that are interested, um, you still maintain a YouTube channel, I believe, right. where some of those presentations are, are available still. Uh, to the to anyone that might be interested in, in listening.
1: That's right uh, we have presentations as well as some shorts uh, You might want to, if you want to see a lot of pollinator activity on clustered mountain Mint I've got a 30 second video <laughs> for that so you can watch a one hour a presentation or you can watch a 30 second to one minute short right. and, uh, and enjoy that. Uh, so, yeah, we are still taping our meetings and uploading them as the editing
0: uh, gets Super. Gets done. So for, for the listeners that have interest in this, these types of topics, uh, check that out. That's really, really high, highly worthwhile. So just tell me in general, what is the overall mission or objective of, of, um, of the Wild Ones organization here in Middle Tennessee?
1: Sure, Uh, the national organization supports the use of native plants in the landscape and the use of sustainable landscaping practices. Um, The motto for our group is healing the earth one yard at a time. And so it's all about home landscaping. Um, We also participate in larger landscapes. Uh, We do a lot of volunteer work with the Swan Conservation Trust removing invasive plants so that the native plants can come back there uh, we have another event down there, <clears throat> November the
0: 18th, uh, Saturday, in a few, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's down in the Somerville, Tennessee area? Uh, Summertown. Summertown, in, Town, Tennessee. In North right. Lewis County. Right, yeah. right. Tell us what that's all about.
1: Yeah, so uh, there's an activist down there named uh, Cynthia Warbach. She was named the 2005 uh, Conservationist of the Year. Uh, for her work in helping secure lands in the headwaters of Big Swan Creek. And so they are buying up as many of the headwaters as they can afford. They also own some other property that has uh, unique plants on it from calcareous seeps. Uh, There's the Lankford uh, property that's one of the state natural areas, I believe that's the name for it. Uh, It has some rare plants there like um, big leaf grass of Parnassus, for example. One of the only places in the state you can find that uh, that plant. But what we do is help uh, help the organization remove invasive plants. We've done, we've treated tree of heaven. I've, I've made oh, three yeah. trips down for that. Yeah. We don't open that uh, particular uh, event up to the open to the public because of the chemical that's required mm-hmm. to treat it. But mm-hmm. for Chinese privet. And bush honeysuckle, we do open those up to all members of Wildlands and anybody, All hands on deck, exactly. right? exactly. Yeah, the more the better. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, tell us more about about this one yard at a time. Um, I'm always talking to people and and um, trying to insist to them that what what they do in their own yard m- matters.
1: Right. So um, for us. Um, we are interested in supporting biodiversity. So the reason for that is because, uh, for example, in, in the year 2020, around May, the United Nations released a report on the world um, status of biodiversity. And in the executive summary, there was a phrase, I'm paraphrasing because it's not in front of me, but it said, biodiversity is increasing each year and doing so at a faster and faster rate. And so that's bad news followed by much worse news. It's bad that biodiversity is decreasing. Uh, What's worse is it's decreasing at a faster rate each year. And so um, that's a picture of a crashing airplane. That's the curve you would get from from that. Um, That has um, a lot of hidden consequences. It may not be obvious, but you know, humans uh, rely on the environment to survive. And if the environment is crashing, which is what decreasing biodiversity would mean, that's at some point going to spell disaster for not just the insects, but all life on the planet. And so the question is how bad does it have to get before people take decisive action? And so we're saying that um, don't worry about the big picture and the gloom and doom, just control what you can control. And that's the plants in your own yard uh, you can volunteer to help maintain plants uh, at the different parks. Uh, but what you can control is kind of limited, but what you can do is increase the number or percentage, if you like, of native plants in your yard and remove the plants that aren't supporting biodiversity. Right. So...
0: Well, you know, the typical, the typical suburban yard or urban yard in America is, is, lacks biodiversity.
1: It does. And it also the plants that are used oftentimes have no evolutionary experience with the native insects and bugs of various kinds. And so they're not really part of the ecosystem, or if you want to say it this way, they're not part of the food chain. Right. They're isolated. You look at their leaves, there are no bug holes there, which looks pretty to a, you know a classic gardener. Right. But your plant isn't really part of the ecosystem. And so, uh, what we try to do is convince people that it's better to have a yard that has a lot of life in it that you can enjoy—butterflies, bees, uh, all sorts of uh, all sorts of critters—and be part of the ecosystem. And that will help support global biodiversity in a way that many yards are currently not
0: doing. Right. You know the the point you make about uh, the plants in most. Uh, backyards not evolving, um, you know. So we have grasses that are European in origin for the most part that are being sold, right. And those are and essentially prom- and promoted as lawns.
1: Yeah, those yeah. are essentially dysfunctional pieces of the ecosystem. They they don't really support much of anything. Right. Now, if you have let a little clover grow, you will supply some nectar to some bees and so that's good but yeah if you do the traditional uh spraying in your yard you're you're really um have a a a piece of property there that's just not participating in the the ecosystem right
0: yeah there's nothing for the birds to eat
1: right and so um the co-evolutionary uh connection between insects in particular and native plants is what drives that support for biodiversity And so, in particular, caterpillars are the ones responsible for converting most of the leaf material into energy. So if you think about, you know, the sun, we get energy from the sun, the plants trap that energy. So that's the bottom of the trophic system. And then what eats the plants? Well, a lot of things, but caterpillars do a really good job of converting that trapped solar energy converted to plant material into food, say, for birds. Nothing's better for a bird than a yummy little caterpillar right perfect package of protein and fat and because the birds co-evolved with the native caterpillars it's the perfect food for those birds or whatever animal is going going to be eating them and so it's all about moving energy through the ecosystem that's the way ecologists think about this topic and we have plants that are traditional landscaping plants that don't help move that energy through the ecosystem because nothing eats their leaves right
0: so you know if you're if you're a a homeowner going to the big box store looking for plants um, to put out in their yard um, in an effort to to uh, increase the biodiversity what are the kinds of things that you buy there
1: um, yeah, I don't really go to the big box okay. stores for that reason, but uh, <laughs> it's really difficult to find a native plant that is not perhaps a cultivar, which just means um, a nursery picked a particular, particularly attractive native plant in this case and cloned it over and over again because they want them to look exactly alike. Right. And so I do use a, full, a few cultivars, and I do recommend a few for specific landscaping functions. But in general, uh, biodiversity is better supported by straight species, as they're called, and not mm-hmm. cultivars that are genetically identical. Right. But if you, have, if you want to get, let's just take the inkberry shrub, uh, Ilex glabra. If you want to get one of those to replace a short boxwood, there isn't a short... Uh, inkberry. They're all kind of six to eight feet tall, mm-hmm. but you can get a cultivar that's three feet tall. Mm-hmm. And so I use the, some of the cultivars for the Ilex glabra, the inkberry, as a boxwood replacement in situations where I just want something to grow three feet tall, but no, but no higher.
0: That's a good tip. Well, where, where do homeowners find materials with which to, uh, to make their, their uh, homes more biodiverse? biodiverse?
1: Uh, that can be a little tricky, depending on where you live. Um, Wild Ones, the local chapter, is trying to address that issue by having its own native plant sales. We also have uh, native nurseries or nurseries that can order native plants uh, in the Nashville area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Grow Wild is one of the premier native plant nurseries in the southeast, and they're in they're in Fair uh, Fairview. Uh, we also have some smaller nurseries that do carry native plants. And I've noticed about two or three new ones over the past uh, three years. And uh, and then also some of the mainstream nurseries uh, can order anything in the horticultural industry, right. including uh, native
0: plants. <clears throat> so do you think the general public is getting the message about the need to increase biodiversity in their yards? Uh,
1: I would answer that is yes. It's going to be slow, but I have seen... Uh, discernible improvements uh, since the Wild ones chapter started. I know in my own case I've learned a lot more, but I see uh, just by our increase in membership and the level of interaction with people at our plant sales, they're, they're beginning to get it right. and more and more so each year. So right. um, it is slow, but it is encouraging that any progress is being made at all right. because uh, you know for a long time we all liked the, uh, the, the huge green lawn, you know with the shrubs over there on the edge and all of it uh, with no holes in the leaves. Right. But um, there's a lot of information now available that wasn't available uh, 15 years ago, Um, a lot of it due to Doug Tallamy and and his PhD students. But you can now uh, enter your zip code at the National Wildlife Federation website and get a list of plants and butterflies that are, are available for you to have if you put the right plants in your yard and part of what came out of that is you can get the most effective plants for supporting biodiversity listed in decreasing order so if you go to the tree section you would see that in this this zip code there are oak trees that support 432 i think it is uh, moth and butterfly caterpillars and so that's the conversion of the plant material to food for birds and other animals that starts the, the food chain off. If in the herbaceous uh, category, if you stick with, um, if you look at solidago, which is just the, the genus name for goldenrods, in this zip code, they will support 90 different uh, butterfly or, cat or, or moth caterpillars. And so they lead the league in the herbaceous plants and uh, the oaks certainly are at the top of the list for the woody plants. Woody plants in general are much more effective, and they also have a lot more biomass if you compare, say, one oak tree to one goldenrod. Uh, it's no contest there. And so you can get information now that will guide you that we didn't have access to until recently.
0: Well, you know what, too, uh, Richard, is we we have local governments taking an interest in this also uh, here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, I know uh, the city of Nashville has is. Big-time funding, um, uh, planting of trees throughout throughout the city.
1: Uh, right, they um, they have something called the tree fund that uh, homeowners and other people can apply to, right. which is money when the, it arises when developers can't meet the code requirements of, uh, of trees in a new development, and they contribute to the tree fund, which then in turn gets used to buy more trees. And we have utilized that, I say we, it's not really me at all, but uh, Green Hills Park has utilized that tree fund to partly fund uh, their removal of invasives and replacing with native trees. Now the tree fund isn't restricted to native trees, but people can, if they wish, use it strictly for native trees. There's kind of an approved list of things uh,
0: that you can use. Right, just so they're not invasive, exotic uh, trees.
1: Yeah. um, there are thirteen um, plants in the state of Tennessee that are illegal to sell or offer to sell, but that list, in the view of well let's just let's just say me is not really long enough so right, right. it's still possible to buy a Bradford pear, for example, but at least the uh, the so-called bush honeysuckle is illegal to sell, the Chinese privet's illegal to sell, and so we spend time. Still putting out the fire there because they're spreading like crazy from the berries they make, but at least we're not introducing extras into the list. Right.
0: You know, one one topic that comes up and people think when people think about uh, changing their yard uh, from something dominated by turf grass to something other than that um, is is the regulations of local governments and or landowners or homeowners associations. About uh, how their how their lawns or yards must be manicured in order to meet those those guidelines or regulations, uh, is your organization involved in that fight at all?
1: Uh, quite a bit, actually. We have a group called, of course, Wild Lawyers. Uh, oh, I
0: didn't know. Tell tell me are, more.
1: These are volunteer lawyers, volunteer attorneys, who, if you have an issue with your HOA, uh, they will not give you legal advice, but they will make suggestions for things you can do Mm -hmm. now if you live uh, in metro government uh, there's actually a policy in place um, I'm blanking on the name of it uh, intentional design Mm -hmm. yeah so that um, you can submit a, a proposal to the codes group well, and it goes through beautification as well, I believe. But if it, if that's approved, then codes will get a notice that it's approved, and they won't code you for violating something that you said you're going to do in the in the plan. Right. So I once got a a, a panicked phone or email, I guess it was, from a friend of mine who had just gotten um, the police knocked on the door and uh, issued him a summons to appear in court, and he had missed the um, the letter. Because uh, they were pregnant, and they weren't really on top of all oh, the males, okay. so, uh, but he he submitted uh, uh, a intentional design plan, and now when somebody reports his yard, it goes to codes, and if it's complaining about something and he said he was going to do, it never it never follows up
0: from that. Right. Yeah, I guess that if you have a, a rule requiring grass to be of no greater height than twelve inches and you're growing big blue stem, intentionally in your yard um, uh, then then you got a you got a problem unless it's been been approved in some way
1: you have a potential problem but right. if you put that big uh, tall blue stem a big blue stem in a garden area you have a clear line with it demarcates the grass from the soil right you might use mulch although I wouldn't with big blue stem necessarily right. but if you make it look like it's intentional that can buy you a lot of slack in the enforcement of not not taller than twelve inches. A lot of a lot of ordinances. A lot of uh, municipalities say not taller than twelve inches, except in a cultivated area. I got it. And so, um, all of these uh, ordinances that cities have are very vague, and so that allows the municipality to basically do what it wants to do, and then it's hard to fight the municipality. Um, the national organization does have proposed language for ordinances cities can adopt that will have the latitude that will allow for native plants, which tend to look a little shaggier maybe than the, uh, the worldwide selection of plants gives you better options in terms of, uh, you know, what appeals to the human eye right. than some of the native plants do. But there's suggested language that you can uh, download from the website and um, I know that some cities have looked that over carefully. I don't know of a city that's actually embraced that lock, stock, and barrel. But uh, the state of Maryland, I think, has, has some new laws that are very liberal in terms of the ability to do what you want in your yard with native plants.
0: You know, but it, and it's really not advisable, even if you're desiring to increase biodiversity in your yard. It's not a desirable thing to just stop maintaining your yard and let it go Back to nature, so to speak.
1: That's not going to work. Um, Tell us why. Well, it won't go back to nature. It'll go back to invasive plants. And so you're going to get a lot of stuff that didn't evolve here if you just stop maintaining your yard. Right. Now, that will serve fine for some cover for bunny rabbits or whatever. I mean, it does serve a function. Right. But you're not really going to be supporting biodiversity much more if you do that. Uh, so that's a problem. I, uh, I got a call a few years ago from a Nashville person who had gotten a complaint uh, in the Nashville government and um, about somebody who just wanted to stop mowing because, you know, let it go back to nature. And so we had a long conversation and it uh, just wasn't going to work. Nashville wasn't, the government wasn't going to allow that and not couldn't really support the people that were were doing that or couldn't recommend any support for the people that were doing that. And that's where that intentional design comes in. You need to have a plan and you need to execute the plan. And sometimes I get lazy and don't follow up with my plan and I get a nice little note from my HOA encouraging me to uh, straighten straighten things up. And so it's usually well-intentioned and so I just take care of it and I put in my cues to care as they're called. Gets sharp edges on the borders between the, I don't really have grass per se, but I've got, you know, some ground cover that ends abruptly. And then there's um, mulch and some native plants. So as long as it looks clean and intentional, that will really buy you a a lot of consideration, I think.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the Wild Ones organization and about any upcoming events or activities that you've got going.
1: Sure. Our next meeting is December 4th. It'll be 7 o'clock, that's a Monday, available uh, on Zoom. And we're currently planning on meeting in the Ed Jones Auditorium at the uh, Ellington Ag Center. And we're gonna have a couple of presenters there who started a uh, native plant plug co-op. And so what they do is they take orders for native plant plugs. They offer a few species, it's not wide open. Uh, they get all the orders in, then they'll order however many trays of plant plugs they need to fulfill their, their order. So it's kind of a co-op sort of thing. It is situation. a co-op. Yeah. yeah. So they're, um, it's a non, it's, I, I don't know if it's incorporated as a non-profit, but they're functioning as a non-profit. Right. And this is run by a couple of ladies or three ladies in East Nashville. And they did that, started it last spring, and I think they sold a few hundred plugs. And then in their recent fall sale, they sold, I think they told me 4,000. And so that's been quite a, a steep growth. But they're planning on keeping this going. And so they're going to tell us, uh, give us a presentation about what they did, how they did it, and what went right, what went wrong. Because uh, we have native plant sales ourselves uh, as a Wild Ones chapter. And that's where uh, we get our funding for the year so that we can rent the Ed Jones Auditorium or whatever meeting mm-hmm. room that we're, we're being in. Uh, we recently had a gardening for butterflies class, which I taught at Alice Hill Nature Sanctuary, and that, that went over very well. Butterflies are popular. They're kind of the gateway insect into the amazing world of insects, which that's the way it worked for me. Um, I started seeing butterflies in my yard and making connections between the caterpillars and the butterflies. And it just is. And the plants. And the, and plants, the plants. Right. Yeah. yeah, I had some false, uh, it's called false sunflower growing in my yard and I noticed this, what I would call an inchworm on top of it. So that was cool and it collected plant parts to disguise itself so that it looked like the plant that it was on and it was eating the plant. Uh, Then a month or two later I noticed uh, a strange um, moth in my yard and so I looked it up in uh, whatever book I had access to and it was a wavy lined emerald moth. And so it turned out that that was the adult form of the inchworm caterpillar uh-huh. that I saw in my false sunflower uh, native plant. And so that was a big aha moment for me. There was nothing dramatic about what I saw. I see that you know hundreds of times a year now, but uh, for me, that was a big aha moment. And so I was able to see that connection. Then I started planting uh, purple passion vine, which is our state wildflower to get the Gulf fritillary caterpillars. And so that was a fun experience. Now I have a lot of milkweed, so I get monarchs. So seeing all these connections is is what I like to do.
0: So what other events do you have uh, in the future?
1: So uh, we have, well, in general, we have uh, book club meetings um, occasionally. These are done on Zoom because our members are so spread out. Right. Our monthly meetings are in person. And then other points in the month, we have what we call informal chat meetings, which are also on Zoom so that people from... Uh, all the counties that we serve can get together conveniently. And those are unstructured. Uh, we just at, talk about native plans. Uh, people can ask questions if they've got a particular question. Um, we sometimes do uh, formal classes. Uh, we have had a couple of propagation classes that were all day events. Last one was just before COVID, January, 2020. We brought up uh, at the time the curator of the native gardens at the Birmingham Botanical Garden. Oh my. And uh, he did a great job uh, getting us interested in propagating native plants. Turns out that uh, there's a lot to learn about propagating different species from seed. Um, so, so we do sometimes collect local seed where we're allowed to do that. And then we raise plants from seed for our plant sale. Other times we'll order plugs uh, and just up-pot those into, into plants. And then we also purchase from some of the McMinnville nurseries mm-hmm. that grow native plants. Mm-hmm. So our last sale, we sold around two thousand plants. The exact number isn't hasn't settled down just yet. And uh, we share that the the plant sales support both Alice Hill Nature Sanctuary, where the sale occurs, as well as our Wild Ones Chapter.
0: Very good, very good. Now you all have a um, uh, an ongoing relationship with with the. Um, uh, the uh, natural areas uh, f- folks here in Tennessee.
1: Uh, yes, we do. Um, I communicate with uh, some of the some of the people there whenever I have a question. And um, uh, Roger McCoy has given a presentation to our chapter, and we try to I promote their their hikes quite a bit on our events page. Right. And so I always put the link to their calendar because they give amazing hikes. Right. You know, you, you can't find more knowledgeable people about native plants than, than those employed well, by the and, state. Well, and the other
0: group that I know that you uh, interact with is the Native Plant Society.
1: Right, Tennessee right. Native Plant Society. Um, I've been a member of that since before I was a, a certified naturalist. I would go on hikes and just be uh, amazed at what was out there in terms of native plants. So we went on a, uh, I think it was Ashland City around 2008. Dennis Horn led a, led a hike uh, at a converted rail rails to trails kind of a setup, and I saw my first, um, well, first everything. That was one of my first native plants, but the, uh, the Virginia bluebells just blew oh, me yes. away.
0: right, right. Well, Tinya, you know, for me, my experience is not just seeing the native things out there that you otherwise would not be aware of, but also witnessing the expertise that some people carry around with them that just is awesome.
1: Right. Yeah. So I, I enjoy going on hikes with people who are a little bit more knowledgeable than I am. Right, That way I'm, I'm not lost, but I, I'm struggling <laughs> to keep up, but I can learn a little bit. So I, I, I've done a lot of that.
0: Well, you know, th- we do have this citizen scientist thing going on in our culture right now. Right. And I, th- your group and the, the uh, Native Plant Society and other the ornithology society um, are, all have that element going on.
1: Yeah, that's uh, caught on big time. And now with some of the um, technology that's entered in, you can make up for your lack of expertise and use the technology to kind of close the gap for you. So I'm a big fan of iNaturalist. I I participate in that pretty regularly. And it helps me ID uh, things that I can't quite ID. Maybe I can get it down to a certain level, the right family or the right genus. But then an expert is likely to come in and finish the ID for me. And that's been a huge benefit for me. Um, I can use iNaturalist to log my hikes um, and then go back and look at what observations I made that day and find out what my plant list was for that time. So um, I have a friend who uses electronics to ID birds. He runs them for two hours every morning uh, gets a complete ID of birds and uploads it to uh, one of, uh, I think the Cornell the lab. Cornell side somehow yeah. Yeah. uploads it so that it's uh, there to be uh, mined by uh, scientists that can make use of that data.
0: Yeah, the Cornell uh, bird. Uh, I guess it's what's it called the um, the the name of the of the app is not uh, gonna, Merlin. Merlin yeah. is the app exactly. Uh, will give you the opportunity to uh, to listen with your with your handheld device, and that will identify the bird that's that you're hearing.
1: Yeah, uh, and if you hear
0: if there's several birds, it'll nail them all. It's a, it's, it's just a, an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, so if an, if a listener wants to to learn more about your organization or to just tune in. Uh, where do they go? You're on social media, you've got a website, tell us about all those things.
1: Right, so uh, the national organization has a, a website and as not not surprisingly called wildones.org. Okay. And so that's where you can go to get started. There's an interesting presentation coming up later in the month, that will be a national Zoom meeting uh, on prairies. And so I'm gonna, um, we don't do prairies that much here in the Central Basin or in Tennessee. Not as much as we should. Yeah, not right. Yeah. And so um, we do push um, pocket prairies in people's mm-hmm. yards. And so we're, we're big fans of that. Uh, but if you go to the, the wildlands.org site, you can see uh, information for how you register for that particular presentation. Our local chapter is uh, also associated with the wildlands.org website, but you have to type in either middle Tennessee dot wild ones dot org or midtn mid ten dot wild dot org and that has our event calendar uh, some it has the plants the booklets we use when we sell pollinator kits at our plant sales just all sorts of information there Facebook Facebook Twitter okay whatever so on Facebook we have a business page uh And then we also have a closed group that's a discussion group. And if you just start typing in, in the search box of Facebook, Wild Ones Middle Tennessee, you'll see links to both of those uh, pages. We're not very active on Twitter. And... uh, we're, we link Instagram with our Facebook page so that the, gotcha. we get cross-posting there. That's right. But we're not individually managing the Instagram side of it just yet. We can, right. by the way, use some more volunteers to help out on the social media.
0: All right. Um, let's see. And then YouTube, you've got a YouTube channel. We do
1: have the YouTube channel. Yeah. Again, uh, we don't have a lot of help editing our videos, so anybody who would like to help with that, we could get our meetings up to, on the YouTube channel a lot faster.
0: But there's a terrific de- repository of, of nice material there.
1: Right, well, we've been at it for five years, and right. we've been uh, recording them since, um, gosh... Uh, Doug Tallamy, I guess, uh, right. when he gave a presentation to a joint meeting of the Southern Kentucky and the Middle Tennessee Wild chapters. That was our first recording, I believe. But yeah, we've been at this for a while now. And so we do have uh, many of our meetings recorded uh, there. And I'm about two meetings behind now
0: with... Uh, with getting them posted? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, Richard, you're a delight to speak with. I could talk with you all afternoon. Well, thank you, um, Mark. It's been it's been terrific to to learn more about your organization. Congratulations on the great job you're doing. I really encourage people to to look into your organization, find them on Facebook, check them out, go attend one of their meetings. Uh, it will be enriching to you.
1: Yeah, our meetings are open to the public, and so if, if you find out when they are, you're welcome to you're welcome to come That's along. It.
0: Richard, thank you for joining us today.
1: It's been a pleasure, Mark. All right.